You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. There are very few little kids, little black and brown kids that I run into whose dream is to work for Goldman Sachs. They're not running around Quite when frankly. I grow up. I'm going to work for Goldman Sachs. You know, no, they might say when I grow up, I'm going to be the next Jay-Z. I'm going to be uh, the next Magic Johnson. I'm going to be the next T.D. Jakes. You cannot be what you do not see. And so allowing those people, young and old, to catch a glimpse of other options that are provided in this country is very important. We, we try to simplify people and explain them to our own destruction. We're all diverse and very, very different. And that's why you have to take the time to get to know me and not judge me by my container or my title or the way I wear my hair. <laughs> That definitely, and I hope people don't judge me by the way I wear my hair. That's very important. <laughs> I like but, it. <laughs> people don't realize we're not living in, we're moving from a world of degrees and mm -hmm. certificates to a world of skills where skills get rewarded. And the arts provides you that skill of creativity, right. which is so essential for coming up with solutions in a world that's moving from nine to five to a little bit more 
you know, not nine to five. Like you kind of have to create your opportunities, which is now so much more important in this economy. And by the way, I, I noticed in the email, um, do you like Chairman Jake's or what do it you want? It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't Because I like Reverend Jake's, but I'll... Bishop Jake's or whatever, okay. it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not Rabbi. <laughs> well, you could, could be like a rabbi. Rabbi just means I've teacher. I've got a lot of friends that are, so, yeah. you know, it's all good. Uh, all right, Jake, ready? Here, once again, with my good friend, Bishop T.D. Jakes. I think, this, I think this is like the third or fourth time you've been on the podcast. Absolutely, and every time it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure for me, and, and I think people think, you know, this is such a contrast. We have such different backgrounds, you know, but I don't really feel that way. Whenever we talk, it's like the it's like we're just beginning the conversation that we we we're just continuing what we last, you know, we're talking about. We got chemistry, you know. Yeah. We we talk very well. And you know, uh we we've had similar experiences. I think one of the things our country has got to begin to understand that just because we come in different packages doesn't mean that we don't have similar experiences. You know, I agree and 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 I think Everyone has gotten so polarized, it's actually clamped down on both sides, free original thought, because mm -hmm. you have to sign up for the menu of whoever, whichever side you're on. If you don't believe all 50 things on that menu, mm -hmm. you're out adrift without a tribe. And I don't, and I, and like you say, I think we're all, we're, we're all experiencing some variation of the American experience, and that's important to realize. And the sides keep changing. I mean, what they stand for, what they believe changes uh, right. with every generation and every new leader comes a new nuance. And then we have to understand there's not a monolith that even – and conservatives or liberals, there's all the diversity there. African-Americans are not a monolith, the uh, Caucasian Jewish people. We, we, we try to simplify people and explain them to our own destruction. We're all diverse and very, very different. And that's why you have to take the time to get to know me and not judge me by my container or my title or the way I wear my hair. <laughs> That definitely, and I hope people don't judge me by the way I wear my hair. That's very important. <laughs> I like but, it. <laughs> but so, so just by way of background, I mean, you've come on for for uh, several books that you've written. But you've written, I don't know, I want to say thirty books, more than that. Like mm -hmm. you've written a huge number of books, always with the idea in mind to help people, and that's how you've built up bit by bit your original congregation in South Carolina so many years ago, almost 40 years ago, and now you're in Dallas. West Virginia, yeah, now I'm in Dallas. Yeah. Your, your congregation is tens of thousands of people, the people who watch you on YouTube, millions of people watch your, your sermons on YouTube. I have friends who always want me to tell them, when is when are you going to have Reverend Jakes on again? We want to <laughs> go to, we want to go to the podcast. And, and you know, you, you have, you have people who you've helped all over the, the world and, um, today we're going to talk about your foundation, which is really to the core of what you were writing about 40 years ago when you wrote women thou art loosed. Mm -hmm. It's, it was, it's, I'll, I'll paraphrase it and then you could correct me, but it, it was really about so many people need help this, no matter how successful uh, an economy or a government or a country is, there's always people who wish who are unhappy with their circumstances. Maybe someone just got fired. Maybe someone just got divorced. Maybe someone didn't have the the opportunities that people in other communities had. But there's always ways to maybe have a different outlook on it, to learn new things, to try new ideas, 
And you, I feel with your books, you give permission to, for people to say, Hey, I can do this. It might yeah. be a different path than others, but I can do this. You know, it's it's very important that we are solution-oriented and we are living in a rapidly changing society. I think the reason I started the foundation was I wanted, at this stage in my life, I began to think about you're going to have a successor and uh, at the potter's house, and, and he may not care about the issues that you care about or she may not care about the issues that you care about. How do you continue to make an impact on society outside of the parameters of your church? So I started the foundation um, because I see some very practical, pragmatic things that can be done that, that we can use our platform as a vehicle to service uh, CEOs and uh, people who champion, champion diversity and inclusion uh, to help them facilitate because there are a lot of great programs out there and there are a lot of great companies that do get the value of bringing uh, a more inclusive format to the forefront. They do get them. Others don't get it because they feel like, I just hired the best person irresponsive to whether they are a black, white, brown, male, female. I just get the best person for the job. But the problem with that is if you don't have diversity in a diverse society, you make decisions in the dark and you don't really have anybody on your team who reflects the views of that particular group, and you can insult people inadvertently and end up spending millions of dollars cleaning up that a more diverse staff would have accommodated. The excuse is, I don't know how to get those people. I can't find those qualified people. And I thought to myself, you've got almost 16 million people following you on social media. Uh, I can get to those people. Uh, I know those people. I can I can help facilitate the connections to find not only uh, the underserved, but the people qualified and overqualified are sitting around in our communities looking for a job, looking for an opportunity. And and I feel I feel your foundation is so that's like a top down approach. Like let's talk to the CEOs, give them a solution, which is that there are many qualified people. They didn't always go to the same business school you did, mm -hmm. but they're all over the world. They're all over the country. Mm -hmm. I can connect to them. But there's also a bottom-up approach, which is that, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, women in engineering or African-American women in engineering mm -hmm. have gone down in percentage of the workforce mm -hmm. over the past few years and, and some statistics like that. And there's a bottom-up approach, too, which you focus on, which is how to get these people you know, understanding that they can be trained mm -hmm. for these new sorts. The economy is changing. They can be trained to handle this changing economy and perhaps find opportunities that they wouldn't have thought of before. Not everybody, for instance, is working these days at the nine to five job. The so-called gig economy or side mm -hmm. hustles, that's getting bigger than ever, but it requires, again, learning the skills, understanding that it's possible, giving mm -hmm. yourself permission to admit that it's possible. And I think you you, you also do a very good job transmitting that, that, that opportunity exists. Keep your mind open to it, and opportunity exists. Well, you know, when I said that with Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T, we came together to see how we could facilitate opportunities for people who were, to, were returning citizens from incarceration. 
70% of which were nonviolent crimes, but they're having trouble recycling their lives. And uh, AT&T was progressive enough in their thinking to be uh, inclusive and to create a pathway for those people to recycle and reboot their lives. Many of them are women, and some of them are men, and uh, they're all over the spectrum as it relates to age, but they make up a population of our society that we can't afford to ignore because if we do, I've, I've never had uh, anybody read in the paper where anybody was mugging somebody who had to go to work in the morning. You know, people who are out there doing crimes are doing crimes because they don't have jobs, they don't have opportunities for the most part, and they feel hopeless. It, the quickest way we can get down is jobs, training, education, creating upward mobility for everybody regardless to where they are. But I begin to realize that we will never get there as long as CEOs stay in silos, elected officials stay in other silos, faith leaders stay in another silo, community leaders stay in another one. We have to come together and get to know each other to work together because the message that you're trying to get across, I know the people you're trying to reach. And to avoid me because I'm uh, because I come from a faith background is foolish. So I started the foundation to ignore the faith part of it, and let's have a bigger, higher discussion about how can we lift up communities, how can we stop the disparities in STEM programs uh, and STEAM programs as it relates to including the arts and get more kids inspired and adults inspired to technology and diversity. I would like to partner with corporations who are really serious about doing this, not just a gratuitous program, but serious about doing this. You know, we took 23,000 people through our uh, Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative, reduce the rate of recidivism, help them to get jobs, help them to find a place to stay, which is often difficult when you have a record. In the same way, we could utilize our resources and our platform uh, to be a catalyst where there are well-intended leaders to connect them to well-intended recipients. And that kind of a marriage, <laughs> I'm used to being a minister, that's kind of a marriage between need and supply. And, and so you you mentioned, and I think this is very interesting, um, moving people from not just thinking in terms of STEM education, which is, I don't know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, to STEAM. Yeah, that A in there, the arts. I think mm -hmm. that's a critical insight because people don't realize, we're not living in, we're moving from a world of degrees mm -hmm. and certif certificates to a world of skills, where skills get rewarded. And the arts provides you that skill of creativity, right. which is so essential for, you know, coming up with solutions in a world that's moving from nine to five to a little bit more, you know, not nine to five. Like you kind of have to create your opportunities and, and the arts, whether it's music, it's not, if you have music training, it's not like you're going to be a professional violinist, but mm -hmm. you, you start to activate that part of the brain that isn't just activated in a degree. And then you move to a nine to five job and blah, blah, blah. The arts are important for activating the creativity muscle, which is now you know so much more important in this economy. It is that 
And then when you look at the fact that there are so many young uh, black and brown kids who want to produce films, who want to produce some music, the arts becomes a catalyst because in the process of learning how to do that, you end up learning how to code. You begin to understand something about technology because in, in as it relates to music and film, there is a lot of technology that makes music and film be what it has become in our society. And I think it's a bridge. The latest stats say that it is a huge bridge for uh, uh, black and brown communities. My own son, who came back from Los Angeles with a degree in production for, for music, is now running my social media department and, and involved with all the technology inside of our organization. He said, Dad, it wasn't that different between the algorithms that we use for production of music and what is required to get on the back end of social media and create apps. I said, okay. I didn't know what he meant, but I acted like I did. Those <laughs> Gen Zers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm a boomer. But, uh, but, but that's an exciting conversation to have. Uh, I have coming up in uh, April uh, a leadership conference, and I've got Dave Stewart, who is the CEO of Worldwide Technology, Technologies, uh, a very, very well-known uh, group of, of people who provide uh, intricate work for a myriad of companies, ATT and a lot of others, Oceans and everybody else, in a room where there are also faith leaders and where there are also Denzel Washington and where we're going to also have Tyler Perry convening, I'm a convener, convening spaces for about ten to 12,000 people who have come from 40 different countries, 70% of which are the United States, but the others are from everywhere imaginable. For us to have uh, opportunities, conversations, uh, I thought to myself, as I get to this stage, how do I use these platforms to be of service to the companies who really want to reach a broader audience of people because I live in both worlds, between the business world and and the faith world and the community, born out of the community, I understand the nuances. And I, I thought this foundation will be a way which I can continue to contribute uh, what I have learned and what I have gathered uh, to and make it of use to the society, whether I'm in the pulpit or not. And so the TDJ Foundation started to do that. And and one other thing, I got to tell you about this because I think you'll find this interesting. I'm uh, planning on hosting an event at Martha's Vineyard about closing the Middle Passage between uh, Caribbean blacks, African blacks, and and American blacks. There there has not been this uh, reunification around business around opportunities, around better understanding of each other. Uh, anytime we can do anything to reconcile and reconnect and create better playing fields, you've got Nollywood coming up in Nigeria, Bollywood that's coming up in India, Hollywood coming up in America, uh, entertainment fields are changing. Why are we not interacting with each other, doing business with each other, connecting with each other? Uh, we're all a part of the family and then the bigger family of the human race, which is the most important family. Anytime you can facilitate those kinds of connections and close the passages that divide us, you have done a good service. You know, it's it's interesting because the other day uh, I was talking to Jim McElvey, who's a co-founder of the company Square. Mm -hmm. So Square allows any mom and pop shop that that couldn't previously accept credit cards. Now that he with with the Square device, they can accept credit cards. Mm -hmm. So this entire 
bottom third of the population that was never able to start a business that could accept credit cards mm -hmm. suddenly can. And now at this point, Square is allowing 25% of all American businesses accept credit cards through Square. And it's this bottom part of the population that they served. Mm -hmm. And he was mentioning to me that in any industry, if you could, the, the industry starts off serving like the top 1%, 10%, mm -hmm. 30%, but, but the biggest market where you get billions of dollars in value, if you serve that bottom third and it's so hard for people to do. And what you're saying is there's this huge universe, universe of people that are not being served by many industries right now and allowing, allowing a, again, top down companies to serve them, but also bottom mm -hmm. up having these people realize, Hey, I offer value. I can create services that people will want. I can create, have skills that people will want. This is an incredibly lucrative gap in the world. When you consider you've got 13% of the white population that's living beneath the poverty line, 23% of African Americans live beneath the poverty line. That's 100% higher, almost 26%, I believe. That's 100% higher than their Caucasian counterparts. But more importantly, that's one in four African Americans living beneath the poverty line. One in five uh, Spanish-speaking people living below the poverty line. I'm not just talking about philanthropy here. I'm talking about opportunity. This is a chance to take people who are blank sheets of paper looking for an opportunity to be trained into various types of jobs, entry-level positions. Some of them, that's all they're going to do is entry-level positions. But it is it is good for the country. It's good for the economy to make them uh, consumers rather than dependents. But then there's opportunities to train them that we need a workforce. We have 700,000 job openings right now in technology with nobody of any color or gender filling those spots. Right. The society is, is in one way overemployed right now. Too, right. Too many unqualified people have jobs, mm -hmm. whereas people that corporations might not be aware of don't have jobs. Yeah, and here's the, here's for as a minority, here's the bigger problem. We have 8% unemployment in the African-American community. Rah, rah, that's great. Over the next 10 to 20 years, that's going to go to 20%, not because of racism, but just because of technology. So if you don't start training and recycling human lives, our, our, our need for people in that space is going to increase, and the disenfranchised are going to grow. As the disenfranchised... 19%, 23%, you start looking at those kinds of numbers, those are huge, those are millions of people that we're going to say, oh, forget about you. Well, guess what? That always comes back to haunt you. And I think for companies who get it, who understand that you can't take from a community and never give back to that community, then we have to be intentional about developing programs. And some of them are, some of them are not, and developing programs. But once you develop the programs, getting the message to the people that need them is one of the functions that we want to help to facilitate uh, so that we can make the connections and find the appropriate people and create the opportunities that go forward. The other thing that we want to deal with is most of the people who work in our cities can't afford to live in our cities anymore. So we've got a housing problem. The, the cost of living has gone up so high, the cost of real estate has gone up so high, that you have to live an hour and a half outside of most of our major cities uh, in order to come in. I'm talking about police officers. Sure. 
I'm talking about nurses. I'm talking about people that we desperately need, and yet we don't have workforce housing in our cities like at the at the rate that we need them. And so one of the other things that we want to tackle is workforce housing. And I'm looking for partners to connect with us so that we can create the kind of housing uh, and make it available in our metropolitan major city areas and elsewhere where people can make a living wage and live close enough that they don't spend all of it trying to get to work. You know, all of these things like housing opportunities, business opportunities, opportunity, you know, educational opportunities, opportunities in, in larger corporations. I feel there's, there's kind of a, a, a potential cohesive umbrella on top of that, which your foundation and platform could help facilitate. But a lot of these people need banking. They need mm-hmm. somebody like right now, the, let's just call it the bottom third of society. How do they do their banking? They don't open up checking accounts. Mm-hmm. They get their checks cashed at check cashing places, which charge mm-hmm. 120% interest a year when you add Absolutely. it up. Or, or, or they do their banking at, at pawn shops mm-hmm. or rent to furniture places. And mm-hmm. not that these places are bad because it is the only alternative banking that many of this community has. But those, believe me, those businesses are aware that they're charging. 50 times the amount of interest. Rates. Yes, yeah. they are. But, bad but, but, they, for but the they feel they have to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, they, they feel they're taking certain risks. So they have to. So it's a confusing thing. And I'm wondering if banking could be, you know, you have such a strong presence and, and your, your foundation is strong and your, your congregation is strong. You have so many people working with you. Maybe there's a way to provide some kind of even peer to peer lending, like they're doing it in Africa, but they're not doing it here. Mm-hmm. Some sort of, alternative banking that's better than what they currently have if they can't if they don't go in and get a chase account yeah i think that banks are starting to wake up to the fact that this is the final frontier and they have to make themselves more available to that audience at more competitive rates and i understand that those companies do incur a greater risk but they also make a huge amount of profit off of the most disenfranchised people in our community single mothers mothers trying to take care of their children and whatnot uh, shouldn't be penalized for situations that they didn't get themselves in. Sometimes they were forsaken. Sometimes they were rejected. What we have to do is see them as an opportunity, not to fleece them. I agree. But to train them. What What about, I mean, we're just riffing here. Right? I'm just brainstorming. You've probably thought of these things or maybe they're, they're bad ideas. What about you or your foundation setting up um, a bank where there's no minimums that a lot of the problem is that a lot of banks have minimums and that's the way they keep out. Mm-hmm. You know, they act like there's a business reason, but it's really the way they keep out the mm-hmm. bottom third. Mm-hmm. And you know, someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, supporting a family is never going to meet the minimum. Mm-hmm. So that's why they've got to go to the check cashing place mm-hmm. or the pawn. Right. Shop. Right. What about setting up a, a, a bank where after some due diligence on customers, there's no minimums. And then, and there's, there's micro loans as opposed to just, you know, Banks like to give huge loans to buy houses. What about micro loans or peer-to-peer loans where where members of the bank could lend potentially to other members of the bank and, and the bank keeps track of, you know, the peer-to-peer lending and I don't I'm know, not, just riffing. I'm not sure that I'm the guy to set up a bank, but I have been meeting the people who do that. I've been having talks with people who facilitate banks, and I've been having talks with people who are starting to rethink how they do banking business, and I think that I could be a huge conduit for those who do that and do that well by connecting uh 
of the disenfranchised with safer opportunities and more affordable options to do business. And I also think that technology is going to change everything about the economy and how we do money, period, because of technology. The more we send money on uh, new crypto money, the more that we connect that way, the more that we uh, send money through apps. The, The whole game in the banking industry is little by little starting to change too. So we have to get ahead of that and be forward thinking. I thought, James, to myself, there are many things in our community need work. You know, from criminal justice on down, there's a lot of places to put your emphasis. There's fighting for the civil rights that were once uh, taken for granted or not being challenged. But I thought, and we have people that are working on those areas, I thought my greatest contribution at this age and stage is to build a foundation that's thinking about our children and our grandchildren and how do we leave the world better than we found it and how do I do something that outlives me and outlasts me, that goes be, that transcends religion and race and really focuses on purpose and goals and humanity and how can we collectively solve our problems. And I realized quickly, wow, I can't do this by myself. I have got to forge connections and relationships with CEOs, with elected officials, with community leaders. And the reason faith-based leaders cannot be excluded from the conversation is because people who know our community well, elected officials have known this for years, that the church is the gateway to our community. It's the bullhorn into our community. And it's much, and for sometimes justifiable reasons, that CEOs avoid being around or involved with somebody who has a faith background. Let's get over that. Let's be inclusive and set up a foundation that's not about faith. It's about community. It's about brotherhood. It's about serving our generation well. And all of us recognize we've all been gifted with these platforms. And we cannot allow these platforms to be used for us alone, but to make the world a better place. Right. And you figure, let's say, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you know, church, religion, faith, that was often considered the third space. It was the space in between home and work Mm -hmm. where you had your community, people of similar interests, people of similar faith, and that was the place people enjoyed going to 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 grow up with that community. And now in today's society, we don't really have that third space. You know, maybe Starbucks or the bookstore or whatever Mm -hmm. can claim to be a third space, but Mm -hmm. they're all going out of business (laughs) and because people are buying on the Kindle and I can make coffee sitting at home watching binge watching game of thrones and everything is just delivered to my home right and and you're right you can't ignore what the benefits of faith have been to a society but let me, let me ask you about this so i called you a mega preacher in the beginning do you ever get any kind of backlash like oh you know bishop jakes he's just this <laughs> you know mega preacher on tv he doesn't he does he's not really you know in the local church community? Like, do you ever get that pushback? Uh, Early on, Mm -hmm. I got that quite a bit. Now they've given up on trying to define me. Uh, By the time I got through making movies and writing books and buying real estate and and building communities, they, they can't figure out what box to put me in. And I think it's because I refuse to be defined by how you met me. Uh, whether you met me on television or met me on Oprah Winfrey or met me on a real estate deal or met, that's just one dimension of who I am. And I think that 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 diversity and that that refusal to allow people to describe you by how they perceive you, 
uh, is what freedom is all about. Now, other clergy might do other things. Some may go into music. Some I have friends that are clergy and own funeral homes. That's not my thing, but that's their thing, and that's what they do. Every person is an individual, and anytime we prejudge somebody, we are being prejudiced whether we know it or not. You have to take the time to really do the homework and the deeper dive rather than to say, oh, he's Jewish, oh, he's a preacher, oh, she's this. And and I think as you go along and we take the time to really get to know a person, to really research what they do and what they give, you begin to understand that uh, those misunderstandings dissipate. And after 43 years of doing what I do, that has largely dissipated a little bit. They don't know exactly how to describe me because I'm in L.A. one day doing a film and I'm in New York talking to you today and and tomorrow I might be doing a funeral. But so that's my life and that's how I chose to live my life. And what I walked away from it with was out of all the things you do, what are the things that you that you want to leave behind? And 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 uh, what, you, you know, can I ask you about that? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel like this is the the third time you've mentioned age in indirect ways. So you like what you want to leave behind, or when you think of your successor, or as you mm-hmm. um, move. I felt there was one time you were sort of referring to almost a move from what you have been traditionally doing to more focus on the foundation. Are you thinking more transitionally right now? Like you're in some sort of transition or are you thinking more about age and, and your legacy? I'm always in transition. And I yes, I have to think about age. I'm getting older. It won't let me forget. You're not that old. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yes, I think no. you're, how, when were you born? Uh, I was born in 1957. I'm 62. Okay, you're you're yeah. 11 years older than me. Yeah, so, so this is the thing. At 62 and being a minister, you've buried enough people that you realize how the story's going to end. So that's one point to think about. The, the other thing, and more importantly, is... It's not so much about death. It's about remaining relevant and doing something with what you have been given. And and I've been given so much. I've been given so, so very, very much in my life. I have an obligation to do something. You, we have organizations like Oral Roberts University, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, both of which outlived the people who founded them. Sure. All kinds of foundations. We could go on and on and name foundations that were founded by somebody, but the foundation outlived them. And so I think those foundations survive based upon the heart of the founder and what was important to them and their ability to foresee where the world was going and how to be relevant even uh, as as we move on and off the scene. I don't have angst about about age or, or retiring. I will continue to pastor the Potter's House as long as I figure that, that me being there is an asset and not a liability. The day I think that I have outserved my usefulness, I will gracefully step aside because the mission is more important than the man and let somebody younger who speaks to that generation more effectively uh, take the helm of that and say that I serve my generation well. I have no problems with that. But the day I do that, I don't want to spend the rest of my life sitting on a beach counting sand. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a person who wants to be doing something, and this foundation is something that I could, uh, as chairman, I could live my support, lend my support to still affect my community and still reinforce the values that are important to me.
I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash 
James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. So here's another another idea, and again, I may be stupid or not, but uh, a couple of years ago, I visited LinkedIn, and I asked them how many searches when people are searching for jobs, what percentage of your searches are now related to the so-called gig economy where you're kind of working for yourself? Not necessarily you're going to build a million dollar business, but Mm -hmm. you're just, you're making a living with a side hustle, with a gig, with, you know, this access economy, like Uber drivers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, it's, it's very, very tiny, like 0.1%. More recently, it's like 2%, it's growing like thousands of percent. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of that comes from the fact that now people are learning skills. And I think the big corporations, they're still looking for applicants with, you know, degrees and whether or not those degrees mm-hmm. taught anything, they still feel like that's a filter that they should use. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, again, you know, using your platform, using this foundation to create, you know, approved educational opportunities online or however, so that people build skills, whether or not they have the degree or the certificate or whatever. Cause there's a lot of skills out there that aren't that hard to learn, but are necessary in, in, in an increasing technological economy. That's precisely what we want to do with the foundation. It's to get people job ready and get the jobs ready for the people and get opportunities ready, get communities ready, get housing ready to, to develop the kind of foundation that levels the playing floor for all people and through whatever auspices that we can. The, the the real gift I've been given is that I've got friends from every sector and every walk of life. Very, very, very few people can walk in as many different rooms as I can and, and, and get an audience with those people. And I thought, well, you can either do a photo op and hang them on your wall and tell your grandkids about what it was like to meet them. Or you can say, let's sit down at the table and talk about putting four legs up under it by connecting communities and spiritual leaders and elected officials and CEOs to hold up a stronger table for the family of America to sit down and eat on with an equilibrium that supports the the blessings that we have been given to be in this great country. And so, so do you find the CEOs are receptive in the sense that, you know, they're saying, okay, um, you know, Reverend Jake, show me the people, show me the, the people with the skills. What what are they saying to you? They're, they're a diverse, eclectic group of people, too. There are some of them that are only focused on the bottom line and reporting to their shareholders and making it to their meetings on time. There are others who are hiring diversity teams and training diversity professionals to, because they understand that this is important. There are many that are saying, you know, I want to make the bottom line look good, but I also want to do good while I'm doing it. And they understand that the two are not mutually exclusive. 
So I'm, I'm getting a myriad of them. But there are enough out there who understand it or who are starting to think differently about it that, that I think it's time to go back to underserved communities and say, there are people who care. There are people who have programs. There are people who are doing things. And to connect those two services together, it's not always about creating more services because we got a lot of services out there that are not reaching the intended audience as effectively as they could. And I thought, how can our foundation serve them to be more effective? I don't want to compete with them. Like what service are you thinking of specifically? I I think about a lot of services are are being started by Fortune 50 companies that uh, people don't know about because because most CEOs know CEOs. So they they don't know people in, in other parts of their community that, that really need those services. There are a lot of programs that are uh, in Chase Bank. There are a lot of programs that, that are in a lot of different corporations that like AT&T and what AT&T's passion was to do something with people coming out of the criminal justice system. I said 23,000 people came out of our criminal justice system. Randall and I live in the same city and it was a long time before we ever sat down and thought, oh, you care about that. I care about that too. You don't do that until you come out of your little log cabin and connect with your neighbors next door and find out that there are people who not only care about it, but have the core competency to help your dreams be realized. Because a lot of people care about things, but they've never run the organization or don't have the dexterity or the nimbleness of wit, the clarity of thought to be able to put together the type of organization that reflects the kind of integrity that's necessary for your brand and for mine. Yeah, and, and, I, and I get worried when you're saying this that maybe CEOs realize the importance of these activities for their, not only for for their stock price at the most mm-hmm. cynical, but for their employees' morale and for public perception of their customers. But then I worry at the very last level where they have to execute there's a little bit of lip service or they just don't know how to do it. And so giving them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know how to do it, I don't, and I see you're trying to to bridge that gap. Again, I wonder if there's a little bit of bottom-up movement that has to happen also. That both. People, yeah. both. You, got, you, you got to have both happening at the same time. Anybody you leave behind, you leave behind somebody who had a future and had potential that was wasted. That's a moral statement. But the real, the the other critical statement to realize is anybody you leave behind becomes a threat to your success because you will never be robbed by somebody who's doing well. You'll only be threatened by somebody. Except on Wall Street. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and then they get arrested and we go from there. But uh, the, you'll only be attacked by somebody you forgot. That's one thing to think about when we think about it. We cannot afford not to include women. We need them. A lot of these companies that won't spend money on diversity are spending all kind of money in lawsuits because of the insensitivity of a program that you put out because you didn't have any diversity to tell you, hey, in our community, that's not going to go over well. See, so you end up spending the money anyway. We're not asking the companies to spend any more money. We're asking them to take the money that they're spending on litigation litigation, and invest it back into the communities that are attacking them by providing the kinds of services that avoid losses. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you see that in, for instance, in law enforcement, right? There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, police officers unfairly attack someone who's mentally ill or 
uh, minority. And what ends up happening is not only is there a tragedy, but then the city gets sued. So they also, they see it as a financial problem, a, a morale problem, a, a, you know, a, a diversity problem, mental, a mental illness issue. And so you see it in law enforcement, ironically, they're trying to find alternatives, but I don't really see it as much in the fortune 50, you know, where they're trying to really aggressively look for solutions, uh, not realizing that the, the, their companies will be better because Again, there's there's overemployment. They're hiring people who have degrees but not necessarily skills and leaving behind the population that could have the skills. Well, you're hiring them and you also have to hire them in diverse places. They can't all be janitors. They can't all be plumbers. You've got to have, uh, I'm thinking about a situation where I insulted. It, it has happened to me personally. I made a statement about Kenyans and some of the uh, wells of water that we were digging in the rural areas for the indigenous people of Kenya. And I used the term, uh, an inartful term, uh, by calling the natives of Kenya. Well, I didn't know that in Kenya that's an insult, but I learned it for the next four or five days as I was assaulted on social media, and suddenly I became aware that something that came from a very good place was misinterpreted. Had I had more diversity on my staff, somebody would have stopped that before it went out and said, let's change that word because in my culture that means something different. The same way I made that mistake, companies make that mistake every day. Mistakes when you're a big company are expensive. Yeah. Because lawyers are hitting you up for 500 bucks an hour, and it's three or four of them to go in there and solve that problem. I'm saying you can be preemptive and preempt that problem from occurring in the first place by being more inclusive, intentionally inclusive. You can't be arbitrarily inclusive by saying, well, if the person happens to be of a different race or culture and they're qualified for the job, I'll hire them. No, you have to go out and look for that diversity because that is an asset for your company. And what, what I'm trying to do with the foundation is saying, how can we take uh, the the 20 million or so people that are following us on social media and and the the millions of people who are watching us on television and use it, we're in 80 million homes every day. Uh, how can we serve you? How can we be a bridge to you? How can we help you to facilitate those goals that you are smart enough to understand that the 21st century is going to require or your company is going to become increasingly obsolete? Right. So this is this is this enormous asset you have, which is 20 million followers on so various social mm -hmm. media. I'm sure a huge email list where you're directly communicating mm -hmm. with, right. you know, your most loyal uh, readers, mm -hmm. fans, followers. Uh, plus, you have the, the TV medium. You know, it's so funny ever since we started doing podcasts together because I've done a lot of research on you now it's just a regular thing in my youtube feed oh you know reverend jake says a new uh speech every every week yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. i watch it it's you're you're so inspirational and then i'm wondering how with your platform if there's ways to build community outside the congregation but with your social media followers like facebook groups or linkedin groups where people can exchange ideas of where there might be opportunities or skills or housing or whatever, you know, where, where it gets of, to be really practical, you know, the advice. All of that we, we, we are building into our strategy for the mm -hmm. foundation. But beyond that is 
I'm going to be talking to 12,000 leaders of other movements throughout the country so I can reduplicate myself quite quickly by, by bringing them onto platforms and sharing with other pastors and leaders in and out of the pulpit that are influencers to help send out information. Our, information moves through our community um, much like it does through the Internet. Anyway, it's viral. It's viral. It's in the barbershops. It's in the beauty shops. It's everywhere. And we have a, our own way of getting word out in our community and always have. Uh, I understand who those players are and how to connect with them so that we can facilitate those dreams and services. And then beyond that, these communities that I'm talking about building that for workforce housing opportunities, there is a, uh, a s- smart city idea that we're trying to build with a dream center in the hub of the community that teaches uh, financial literacy, that teaches uh, debt management, that teaches uh, STEM programs to kids and exposes it into the inner fabric of our culture. It's not in there right now like it needs to be. There are very few little kids, little black and brown kids that I run into the, whose dream is to work for Goldman Sachs. They're not running around when I grow up. I'm going to work for Goldman Sachs. You know, they might say, when I grow up, I'm going to be the next Jay-Z. I'm going to be uh, the next Magic Johnson. I'm going to be the next T.D. Jakes. You cannot be what you do not see. And so allowing those people, young and old, to catch a glimpse of other options that are provided in this country is very important. And advertising making smart look sexy, making it fashionable to be smart again is okay. We need that in our community. And so I'm tearing down those bridges and I'm taking some of those companies out of their ivory towers. They live in cathedrals just like I do. It's just a different kind of cathedral. And let's meet in the center square of humanity and see how we can lift those people up through those four pillars and create a safer, more vibrant, uh, economy, a safer place to live, and and a holistic program that continues to feed the pump of customers because all of those 23% of blacks, 19% of Latinos, all of those women that are underpaid or unemployed are also potential customers if they had a fighting chance at an opportunity. Absolutely. Potential customers in a multiple of industries that aren't currently serving them. Right. And and so what results have you seen so far? I know this is kind of the beginnings of this, but you've been but you have also this has been the arc of your career from yes. woman thou art loosed to now. I mean, this has been such a strong focus for you. I'd say in terms of message, this is this has been your biggest message over the decades. I've seen a lot of results. I've seen a lot of change lives. I've seen a lot of people going back to school that weren't going back to school. I've seen a lot of people getting degrees in areas that they wouldn't get degrees in before because I've conveyed information that they normally wouldn't think that way about a thing. I've seen a lot of results in the terms of our leadership conferences and the kinds of people and the diverse people that come from from all over the world to come and learn the direction and the marching orders that really infiltrates our community in a way that you would not believe. I've seen those results in 23,000 formerly incarcerated inmates coming out and being gamefully employed and getting jobs. Some of them are working for various companies in Dallas. We've got a coalition of leaders in Dallas that are hiring and giving second chances. Records are being expunged. We've shut down almost five prisons in Texas. We're seeing huge results. And and I'm very proud of those results. Are we've had award winning results from 
the Obama administration and the Trump administration have recognized the effectiveness of our organization. So I have seen results. I'm just taking those results and putting them over into the foundation so that we can have something where religion does not get in the way mm. of mission and creating an equal playing field where uh, companies and CEOs and community leaders, leaders, elected officials are not afraid of being nuanced by their association with me, they can then uh, meet on the even playing floor of the foundation whose causes are a reflection of how can we serve you rather than how can you serve me. And so you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you were in L.A., you came here to New York to uh, come on this podcast. In L.A., how are, you know, L.A. has traditionally been this place where a message can be magnified, whether it's television or movies or whatever. That's starting to change. We're seeing Netflix, YouTube, you know, Amazon, all these, you know, Instagram, TikTok, all of it, Twitter, all of these other outlets now for people to convey a message. What's happening in your own media efforts? Because obviously you use YouTube very heavily and very effectively. Uh, where, where do you see media in terms of like spreading this message? My little company has, has with, with a small amount of staff through our partnerships, have done over $500 million worth of uh, business at the box office. So we, we have been deeply involved in faith-based films and films that catered to the African-American community. And we represent a growing amount of small companies that are coming up and getting in the game that you don't necessarily have to have a big name to get in the game anymore. So that's a change. It used to be that it did exists like that. The other change that we're seeing is people are working outside of the uh, traditional systems. They're not just with Paramount and Sony and Universal and other big companies. They're doing independent films that are getting recognition, bypassing the traditional machines and going right to cyberspace in a way that is a paradigm shift that's got everybody a little bit nervous now. Uh, Netflix changed the game. Uh, now Amazon, Facebook, everybody else is coming along trying to get in that game. Disney, other people are getting into the business of cyber movies and cyber entertainment. I think it's going a trend that's not going to stop. Every company in entertainment is going to have to rethink themselves. Conglomerates are going to have to become more diversified and more competitive in order to remain relevant. Uh, budgets are being shifted over as people are producing their own content, taking more ownership, licensing less movies and films, producing more of their own. So when all of that stops, like the music business has gone through a paradigm shift, when all of that stops, we'll see where it ends up. But in the music business, it's been a revolutionary change. And I mean, from DVDs and CDs and what have you, down to downloads, changed the game, changed how artists was paid, changed who launches what and when and how. That same thing is now happening in film. It's happening in every aspect of our society. And we see that continue to change. And the other thing that I might add is now you can produce a quality film for less and you don't necessarily have to do it in Hollywood. There's the Tyler Perry right. Studios in Atlanta. There's the tax incentives that are offered in Georgia. There's the tax incentives that are offered in Louisiana. A lot of films are being shot in Canada. Very, less and less films are being shot in Hollywood. So you've got... Atlanta springing up, you've got Hollywood, you've got Nollywood coming out of Nigeria, you've got Bollywood coming out of India. So we're seeing a lot of players get into the game that weren't in the game before. 
Uh, we're doing business with each other. We're interacting with each other. Uh, when when the fat lady sings and it all falls out in place, I think we're going to be looking at entertainment coming from a lot of different places than just one place. I totally agree because you could take an iPhone. Anyone can take an iPhone and basically shoot a movie. And I put it in quotes because it might be a 20-minute movie. It might right. be a 40-minute. There's no rules. It doesn't have to be an hour and a half to satisfy a movie theater's demands. Mm -hmm. And you could then upload it to YouTube, obviously. Right. Or you can also upload it to Amazon. Most people don't realize this. I can make a whole TV series, just upload it to Amazon. If people see it on Amazon, it looks like any other Amazon Prime show. They don't know that it just was made uh, on my iPhone. And I think that gives opportunities to so many people now. to And same thing with, I could write a book. I could write mm -hmm. a 12-page book that's meaningful to me. I can upload it to Amazon. It's a paperback and an ebook now. Mm -hmm. I can read it, so now it's an audio book. And, and you can make money from that. Like I think, again, there's the, the modern day has created so many opportunities that weren't available before. And, and again, that might skip. I always get worried about catering too much to the big corporations that may or may not want mm -hmm. to change. Like if, if a corporation still requires a degree, how am I going to spend... How's the average person going to spend a hundred thousand or two hundred or get into debt for right. a degree when the same classes and skills might be available online for free? Right. Uh, so many online That's schools, true. and so I wonder where these two worlds meet. You know, and 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 it seems like again, you can you you have this amazing platform where you can t ask people, hey, look at these other ways to get that skill. You know, and I'll and and I'll convince the corporations to look for skills rather than a degree from Harvard or wherever. Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, when you look at technology, uh, technology in and of itself uh, may have a constituency that is inclined to pursue it just because they enjoy technology. But if you start having um, conferences or events centered around innovation and showing people how they can turn their uh, laptop into a business, how they can turn uh, their phone into a film, how they can better do their own editing, do their own post-editing, do, do their own music overdubs, do their own, they can do their own, do their own, and own it and to own it. See, that's so powerful to own it. See, we're in our community, we're so caught up on who's in the movie that we don't notice who owns the movie. So we, we have to change the way we think from watching the movie and who's in the right. movie to thinking more about owning the movie. Uh, well, instead of watching TV and we're watching 25% of the, the viewers are African-Americans African who watch uh, television twice as much as their white counterparts, which is 50% of the eyeballs. But we're not making enough of the content. And we're waiting on somebody to open up the door for us. We have to open up the door for ourselves. That is a hundred that right there is a hundred percent of the message right? right so that we were interviewing um byron allen who owns the weather channel yes I and know so him. great great guy and um he was uh, uh initially when he was in a when he was a teenager he was a stand-up comedian he was the youngest ever on on johnny carson but then he and, but then he a year ago he bought the weather channel for 300 million <laughs> and he said at some point he decided he didn't want to be on in front of the camera, he wanted to be behind the camera. He wanted, right. What was the exact quote that Byron Allen said? Um, I think that's kind of it. I think that was it. Yeah, so that was how he got into business. Mm -hmm. And suddenly now he's this mega mogul buying up stations and networks. 
And I think that's interesting. He got savvy with creating the content, but then understood the, the business mechanics of it. And so he didn't need um, ABC to choose him or Paramount to choose him. He kind of chose himself. You know, he didn't wait. And I think I think that's those messages are really important. And thank you for propelling his story and the story of others. I just left Charlemagne the God talking about his story. Charlemagne's good friend of ours. Really? Yeah. yeah. Charlemagne's got an amazing story. Our our community needs to see them. If a CEO, if a diversity uh, executive is listening, if somebody who's got a fascinating story is listening, I know you're busy, but we need to see you because our children cannot be you nor take the courses that are required to be you if they cannot see you. They are trying to be what they see and they need to see you. So if you want to give back to the community, it's not just about money. Give us, give us a visual. Give us you. What does it? What was it like to be you? You, you've got amazing stories to tell. That you're so busy running a company that you never take the time to tell them. And people who work for those companies, they're so busy marketing the company that they don't see themselves as a brand and they don't develop themselves as a brand. And that's not always smart to do because when the company gets finished with you, they're gonna say, "Ta-ta, see you later." <laughs> Absolutely, and I call that corporatism versus capitalism. Mm -hmm. So corporatism is where they make everybody feel that loyalty to the corporation is in fact capitalism, but that's not true at all. <laughs> Ca capitalism or, or entrepreneurship is when we seek out and find problems and develop solutions and potentially make money if the solutions are, are good. And that's often the case where real wealth and opportunity is, is found and people in the community, create businesses and provide jobs and and create money that flows back to the community and so on. I am after that that one in five Latino and that one in four African American who is living beneath the poverty line. But I'm also after that person who's above the poverty line. Just so they may be in worse shape than the people beneath them, and I'll tell you why. You make just enough money not to be eligible for the services that will help you, but too little money to be able to survive without the services that you cannot apply for. And that's scary. Like when you have kids, kids to provide for, yes, and you have nobody to call. Yes, that is terrifying. Yes, it's the working poor, mm -hmm. and it's all. And so we brag about you know, so many African Americans are employed. So many, yeah, but doing what? Uh, Latinos, we employ so many, but doing what? Because the fact that I moved from being in abject poverty to being working poor. I'm working a job where I can't afford a babysitter for my kids, okay, which is astronomically expensive, incidentally. Uh, and so I'm either leaving my kids alone in a dangerous neighborhood uh, or I can't take them to work with me or I left them with somebody that I later regret that I left them with. Uh, those kinds of problems require – this isn't about driving a Rolls Royce. This is about being able to send your kid to school, to a good school and a safe school. It's about being able to provide a safe environment for your family. I'm not trying to make everybody be billionaires or even millionaires. I'm just talking about the the people who are really struggling in this country, who, are, who have caused the anger to mount in this country because they feel unheard, they feel disrespected, 
and they feel denied. That anger reaches seething points at the polls. It reaches seething points in our cities, and it explodes on us in the movie theater with gunfire and shootings and killings and all kinds of things. And while we need to, this is a multiple-pronged problem with a lot of things, gun control and everything else, some of it is opportunity control. And we need to make mm. sure that people have better opportunities. I like that opportunity control. And I think you're right. I think people don't know that there there's an alternative to to that seething, you know, to that anger. And 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 it's only increasing right now that anger yeah. because there isn't this, this the gap's getting wider and the and the bridge is getting more frail. Right. What made this country great and to me and what will continue to make it great is that it offered hope. And it offered hope to a diverse group of people that in America, you could do in America what you couldn't do in other parts of the world, that you could climb up. Now, if we cut the rungs off of that ladder, what makes us any different from all of the other countries where there are lesser opportunities extended to people? I mean, look at your own story, right? You, you were, you had a message, you had a vision but you didn't have a congregation at first. No, you had to say you had to say to yourself, "I could do this." Yeah. I it's nobody's keeping me down. I'm the only person keeping myself down. Now, given you had that amazing voice, I don't oh, know <laughs> that that that's worth millions right there. But uh, you had to start with with what was your what was the first indication I for you? With nothing, I started with nothing. But I, I was so far down by the time I started coming up. Uh, I had to come up and I started working. I was working and pastoring at the same time. I've always been bivocational. T.D. Jakes Enterprises, my for-profit company, is older than the Potter's House. So I've had the for-profit company before I ever even had the Potter's House because I didn't know how I was going to get up. But I did not want to be in a position where I had to uh, preach for food. <laughs> I wanted to be able to have enough gifts and expertise that I could do for-profit business and live the lifestyle that I wanted to live and still be true to the calling that's on my life. And I've been able to manage uh, two, now three, with the foundation. We'll see how that goes. But I really want to do that because the sun is setting gradually, but eventually. Uh, on, on our generation, and as it sets, there are a lot of things that I want to see happen uh, in the foundation that creates legacy. And the other thing that I'm doing that I didn't tell you in these communities is I have partnered with a company to produce uh, independent living, assisted living, and memory care living for the elderly because we baby boomers are the largest population that we have ever seen in the history of this country to have lived because of the technology and the sure. health that we have right now. We're just refusing to die, and that's a good thing. But we need a place to stay, and we need uh, realistic opportunities provided for all economic classes because the one thing that we all have in common, whether we're Jewish or Christian or agnostic or white or black or blue or green, we're all going to get old and we're all going to die. And because we know this is an opportunity where there is no bias and there is no prejudice, then that we share in common. And I think that assisted living, affordable living, and, and a plan for the future for the elderly it's what makes us a civilized country. And so I'm going to include that in the layout of the communities that I plan to build in opportunity zones, out of opportunity zones, wherever we can to create a more 
better a better experience, I should say, a better experience for those of us as we age and for our parents as they age. And so you're you're an interesting story too because you're doing so many things. You have the ministry, you have the foundation, you have your businesses, you have your entertainment properties. And a lot of people also get trapped under the story that I can't I can't do more than one thing. I've got a I got responsibilities. I got this. I can't do what what he does. But the reality is, people can do more than yes, one thing. Absolutely, you have to do more than one thing. You, especially today, you have to do more than one thing because the one thing that you do may change. I mean, uh, if if blockbusters were the one thing that you did, you would be out of business now. You know, you have to do more than one thing. And and I think we were created to do more than one thing. That we can pat our heads and rub our stomachs at the same time. It's okay. And when, when you feel overwhelmed, this is something that I have learned, that when I'm stressed out and I'm overwhelmed, it's, it, it, it is not a sign that I need to give up on my dream or, or re- recede on the amount of diverse things that I'm interested in, but it is a sign that stress is a sign that I need more structure. So when I feel stressed out because I'm overwhelmed, I look at my organizational structure, I look at the construct of my departments, and I say, where do I need to add key and significant people to alleviate the stress that I'm feeling right now? The best and most important thing any organization can ever have is great people. And finding great people is like finding gold in the gold rush and and hiring them. So so let's say you're... Uh, single mother in the working poor, struggling to make make ends meet, taking care of kids. She's listening to this and she says, "I can't find a CEO to run my my home. I need to I need to figure this out. How how can I do? How can I have the energy and wherewithal to do more than one thing?" I'm well, glad you let me talk to her. I really know how to talk to her because I saw my father start a business with a mop and a bucket. He didn't even own a truck. He borrowed a truck. And then he borrowed the truck till he could buy a truck. And then he bought another truck, and then he hired some more people, and he ended up with 52 employees. I know how to talk to the person who starts with absolutely nothing. Find your skill. Find find the thing that you can do that solves a problem for somebody. If it's baking rolls, if it's doing cupcakes, if it's doing hair, I don't care what your talent is. You have to have something that is marketable in order to market it. And you may have to start in your house, and you may have to start delivering out of your car, and you may have to get your children as your first volunteer employees until you can get up on your feet. And the problem is they don't have access to capital in order to do business on the level of of many other people who are more advantaged than them. But that doesn't mean you can't get in the fight. I'm I'm a bootstrap guy, and I have been all my life, and I am for the underdog. You start where you are, and you build where you want to go. And guess what? When somebody sees you fighting and scratching and building, they'll come along and help you. Don't let them buy you out now, but they'll come along and help you, and you want to continue to grow and evolve, and it really can be done. I mean, Harlan Sanders started started uh, KFC when he was 65. So you're never too old. Out of a gas station. Yeah, exactly. You're never too old to start and you're never too late and you're never too broke. You start where you are and you fight your way up. Well, uh, Reverend Jakes, Bishop Jakes, Chairman Jakes, Chairman of the T.D. Jakes Foundation, how should people 
help you right now? All they have to do is uh, go on to our website, TDJX Foundation. They'll find out more information about it, how they can partner with it, how they can contribute to it, how they can pray for it. Uh, they can be involved with any of the events that we have coming up. And I'd love to meet you. I'd love to uh, take a call from the companies that, that want to hear more information or have dialogue. I've got representation out there that can come or I can come myself and we can sit down and figure out how we can work together and how we can use our platform to serve your vision. Well, I encourage people to do that. Uh, Reverend Jakes, I want to help. So I'm going to talk to you about how I could help. And thanks once again for, for always, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's really great. I feel like the only time we get an update of each other is behind yeah, these microphones. That's true. Maybe one of these days we'll grab a coffee, but yeah, once again, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. I super appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy, man. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.